0: Thank Dr. Pam Wells is the Executive Director of the Region 4 Education Service Center. Region 4 ESC provides support for 48 school districts and 39 public charter schools across greater Houston. Dr. Wells has been an educator for 44 years, starting off as a teacher in Spring Branch and then moving into a variety of roles in sci ISD, including interim superintendent. So if any of y'all are familiar with Wells Elementary in sci for ISD that was named after Pam and her husband Jim. There is a lot more actually that Pam does in terms of teaching and serving on multiple boards and councils, but it really is a privilege for us to have you here today, Pam. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I really am. And I recognize some faces. I recognize Jeff. We worked years ago when we first started our uh, Minister's Alliance in uh, Cypress Fairbanks. And I'm not going to tell how long ago it was, Jeff, and you're not supposed to either. But I guess people can tell by the color of my hair how long ago it was.
0: <laughs> I was thinking 44 years. You must have been
1: really young when you first I was, started. I was about 12 when I first started teaching school. Yes. And I actually see there's some folks from what was my home church, Cypress United Methodist Church. I now attend church with my son and daughter-in-law and grandson over in Houston, just so I can be with them during church. But I'm happy to see that there are folks from Cypress United. Awesome.
0: Love that. So just to start off with, I know COVID has messed up a lot of things. So I'm just curious, what are you all seeing that school might look like for the 2020-2021 school year?
1: So I know that you won't be surprised, especially there are people on this Zoom meeting who are actually in the school. So they um, probably can do an even better job than I can uh, answering this question. But I do have the honor of supporting our superintendents that are in our region and um, have had the opportunity to host multiple conference calls that they've held so that they can share ideas and strategies and, and determine what, uh, what is best. For the children and the parents and community and staff members that they serve. I know you won't be surprised to hear that everything is in flux right now. I think that in virtually every case, the school districts are looking at multiple different ways that they are going to be educating children. I I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, Marilyn, that you had that picture of an empty classroom. And I think that is, of course, what we don't want to have happen. But we recognize that, first and foremost, our schools are concerned about the safety and health of their children and their staff members. But right now, what most of the school districts are doing is looking at really three different ways to educate their children. And in many cases, they may be implementing all three. So they're really identifying face-to-face opportunities, but face-to-face opportunities with social distancing. And you all who are in the schools know that, especially in the Houston area, Many of our schools are very, very large. And so there isn't enough square footage for them to do significant social distancing. So that's gonna mean that they may have to have flexible schedules. A lot of what I've heard uh, them talking about is maybe having very young children and children maybe who have special needs who would see their teacher every single day. They may then have uh, additional space that they might capture from other facilities that they have to be able to have older children potentially have a week in face-to-face and then maybe a week virtual so that they could have potentially A and B schedules. In some cases, they're looking at those kinds of schedules where they may do it on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Tuesday, Thursday. They're looking at a variety of options to do two things, to focus on actually identifying and remediating the loss that has occurred this year, the learning loss, The school district, I know you will not uh, disagree with me when I say that teachers and principals and administrators and cafeteria workers and everyone in the schools have been heroes for our children. They have done everything possible to make sure that the children know they are loved and that they are cared for and uh, to also try to educate them from afar. So I think that, that as we're looking at The current situation, and in Houston, we all know that people have a great deal of concern because the numbers of cases are increasing, and we're looking at more hospitalizations. So as the superintendents are working with their principals, as they are developing plans, they're recognizing that those plans may end up being the best laid plans of mice and men, but but they also recognize that even if they're able to start school face-to-face, that it's likely there'll be interruptions in school. It's likely that there will be positive cases. And so there might be classes or even campuses that have to shut down for a period of time to make sure that folks have uh, quarantined and that they don't end up expanding on that. So I know that you probably wish that I had the answer, but um, the answer really is that the school districts are working very, very hard to create a variety of options. And I haven't mentioned the one other thing that is really a challenge, and that is there're going to be a lot of parents who aren't going to want their children to be returning to school. They're going to be afraid, especially those children who might have some underlying health condition or maybe even the family as a family member that does. So the school districts are right now uh, doing lots of surveys of both parents but also of staff, because we also know that there are some staff members who also have underlying health conditions. And so they may be uh, teachers that might ask and prefer to teach those students who are going to be educated virtually. So if you can imagine, you know, because you're there in the schools all the time, you know how challenging it is to plan for a school year. Can you imagine planning for a school year when you don't have a clue uh, what is really going to happen once the children um, end up returning? And I will say this too, one of the other things that's happening in the schools that is a, a great concern, and I, I alluded to it, is that we know there's been significant learning loss. You know, even, I, I don't know, how many of you raise your hand if you were actually homeschooling your own children uh, during this time? So a lot of folks were, and you were trying to work, and you were trying to, uh, to support the teachers and to help them and help your children, we know that that even those parents who are doing the very best job they possibly could, they now have a picture of their child's teacher that they say a prayer for every single day of thanks because they now know uh, how how challenging that was. So so I think that uh, we, we really don't know how many are going to end up returning and so the schools are trying to capture that kind of data from parents and then also from from their own staff. So Um, It's really a variety of options that they are looking at. Some of the school districts uh, are putting days at the end of the school year in case they have to close to give some additional instructional time for their students. Uh, Some are doing, I I saw there were some folks from spring here. I know spring is looking at potentially doing what's called an intersession calendar, where there will be longer breaks within the school year. And then once again, if the children uh, end up having to go home rather than have instruction, then they will uh, provide some virtual instruction, but they also would have some additional days to help remediate. Because we know, as I said before, there's been a, a loss in learning. And uh, as I was sharing with you before, those of you who've really worked hard with your children, you know how challenging it is. Think about the families who don't have the capacity to be able to help their children. They may not have internet connectivity. Um, they may not speak English. They may be struggling to put food on the table for their children so they can't be there. Uh, they may have multiple children and they may have one computer. And so if you think about the challenges that you've had with your children or your neighbors have had with their children and you think about those children in poverty and you know we have about 63% of the children in our entire region, that are children of poverty. And we have uh, in many school districts far, far higher percentage than that. So I think that the issue of school calendars has become uh, a way that schools are trying to really figure out ways to give additional time. I know in Cypress Fairbanks, they just uh, recently made the decision to expand the school day to give some additional minutes. So um, the school districts are trying to be as creative as possible, but also to do what their own communities want. You know, in one community, the idea of year-round school or intersession calendars is going to work very, very well, whereas in another school district, it might not um, be as successful. So uh, working on creating calendars that are going to be flexible so that they can remediate uh, during the year is is another issue that they are all pointing. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And probably what a lot of churches here are thinking about is, so with all of these challenges going on, what are
1: ways that we can help? So I think if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of tag that on to kind of what have been the greatest challenges. We've talked about some of those. Um, One of the huge challenges has been food insecurity. Many of our children in the region eat uh, sometimes three meals a day at school and so many of those children were not accessing the meals that the schools had available. We had far, far less participation, even though the schools had the food available, but it was hard for parents to get to it. You know, Obviously, uh, when their children are in school, they go to school and they're able to eat. In this situation, the parents were in a position where they had to go and get food, or in many cases, school districts took buses into communities and distributed food that way. But I think the issue of food insecurity is a way that the churches could help. I know I am proud to be a a board member of Cy Hope in the Cypress Fairbanks uh, School District and um, the backpack program, the food backpack program that they do. And I'm sure many of you do the very same thing. That is going to become even more critical as we have families that have lost jobs um, and, and that sort of thing. So I think helping with whatever way you can, whether it's, partnering with the food bank or partnering with the school district to help with food insecurity. That, I think, is one of the things that school districts are really concerned about. This issue of the digital divide is another thing that I think churches could help school districts with. Um, There is such a disparity, such inequities in uh, what our children have available to them in terms of being able to do school at home. And I know there are lots of initiatives. I'm actually on a task force that the mayor started to try to um, look at getting support from the telecom industries and that sort of thing to to try to reduce that digital divide. But actually when Marilyn and I were talking at one time, I think she came up with this idea, I didn't. But, But we were talking about how maybe churches could open up their facilities or churches to be a place where kids could come and do homework and do work. You have Wi-Fi in your churches, and you have space. And so I think that anything that you can do to support the diminishing of that divide and therefore the instructional support of children, I think is critical. Because that divide, we had inequities in our schools before COVID. Those inequities have just been exacerbated. And uh, not because the teachers weren't working hard, nor because the parents didn't care. It's just the circumstances were such that 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 divide has gotten so much greater. So I think anything that you can do to support your own families and even in your communities with dealing with this uh, digital divide, I think this is an issue. And then also, uh, many of you I know have mentorship programs. And I think that's going to be an issue that we've got to, we've got to, kind of sift through because um, depending upon what, what the rules are for social distancing and the rules related to health and safety for the children, I, I can't tell you right now what the schools are going to do. During the summer, they were told there should be no guests who come into the schools and by guests that even meant parents that unless the parent was there for a parent meeting, that they didn't want volunteers in the schools. Now, whether or not that's going to extend uh, into the school year, you know, I, I think a lot of that will just depend upon what the what the rate of infection is and that sort of thing. But but if you are able to get into the schools, and those of you who have not had a chance to partner with the school and develop a mentoring program, I think that is going to be something that's going to be really, really helpful to the uh, to the schools. And, and then I think that I should have started with the most important thing, and that is that I think that you can pray for the schools. I know that that was always meaningful to me when uh, the churches let us know that they were uh, praying for the school district and for the teachers and the children and the parents. I think that Um, helping to identify also those frontline heroes, raising them up and um, elevating them and making it public that you recognize what they have done during this pandemic. Teachers have been heroes. Cafeteria workers have stood out in the hot, hot sun. Many of them have unfortunately contracted COVID because they were doing it. And they have made sure that those parents who could get to the schools to get food, receive that food. And then there were teachers standing in that same line with principals handing out packets to children who didn't have internet accessibility. So I think if you could actually have some overtly organized and public uh, supports when school starts back to recognize those heroes uh, who are educators, I think that is something that um, I think would be very helpful. One other thing that's happening right now that you could help your community know about is there are some supports for families that especially eligible children who are on free and reduced lunch through the PEBT. I don't know if any of y'all know about this, but it's a it's a pandemic EBT. It's associated with SNAP. Those family members who are in poverty who already receive SNAP benefits automatically receive this additional money for food, but there are many families who do not receive SNAP, but if their children are on free and reduced lunch, their children are eligible for this and they would need to apply. So helping the schools to communicate about some of the things that are available to the families, and that, of course, directly impacts food insecurity, which, quite frankly, directly impacts whether or not children can learn. If they're hungry, they're not able to learn. And I think that's the thing that kept me up at night the most when this started. Obviously, I'm a school teacher, so I'm concerned about whether or not children learn. But my first concern was, are the children eating? And um, that that really, I know that was true of, of a lot of our, um, uh, one thing I did not mention is the mental health of our children and our staff. That is a huge concern and it kind of boggles your mind to think about the trauma that these children have experienced in this short period of time. So whatever you can do to support mental health of those uh, children and families, I think that is a a critical thing. And many of you have counseling services in your churches that at least families, even if they happen to not be members of your churches, might be able to make available. And our schools are, are redoubling their efforts and are partnering with lots of different organizations to help. They have counselors in the schools. We have a lot of people who have even more need than just what the school counselors can do. So um, that's another, these are just kind of popping into my head right now. That's another thing that I think is a huge challenge where the churches could help.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, Pam. Um, And we will share some of these ideas afterwards. Um, I also have some follow-up ideas and examples of what some of the other churches have done. Um, But there are a few questions that have come into the chat box. So Mel, if you wanna leave this.
2: Absolutely. Pastor Brad is asking, much of the school experience, especially in high school, are the extra activities like sports, band, music, theater. And I also know that a lot of our churches do before school or after school programs. Uh, Any insight on how schools and churches would deal with those kind of activities?
1: So you've probably seen that the rules kind of changed just a couple weeks ago and for UIL activities there were some things that schools could begin doing. Initially they couldn't and there were some things they could be doing and then all of a sudden as soon as they did then there were some cases that popped out so uh, some of those rules are kind of in flux, but everyone understands how important those things are, uh, not just to the um, excitement that children have in participating in them, but they help them be more successful in terms of, of their academics as well. So, you know, it could be that there might there might be some ways if schools have some challenges associated with whatever rules end up being their expectation then it could be that the churches might be able to um, you know to have a a role in uh, doing that as well. But I wish I could tell you what all the answers are right now in terms of what those rules are. But as I said they're kind of changing. Uh, We thought they were loosening and then as soon as they began loosening then um, there have been some unfortunate situations where like teams have had someone contract COVID and then they've had to quit you know quit their weight weight room working or whatever so I'm not sure if that answered the question if it didn't need
2: to elaborate. I think one of the principals and you all know is to um, ask the schools what they need for help right and to check in with the principal or whoever your school contact is every summer before Mm -hmm. the school year starts so that's definitely a great question to ask during that meeting before school starts how can we help did this that we were doing, can that keep happening? Or what else can we do right now? Um, we've had several questions about the PEBT. So I'm gonna to try to ask them in, in twofold. Get um, okay. some clarity around if a school is a Title I school, is every student's family eligible for the PEBT? And then secondly, what about younger children in the feeder pattern who are not yet enrolled in school? Are they eligible?
1: So I am, am embarrassed to tell you that I don't know the answer to the second question. The Commissioner of Education, uh, Commissioner Morath, has asked each of the school districts to actually send information directly to the families who are eligible, because it's really the schools who are the only ones who know who are eligible. And what I've been told is that it is any child who is has currently been identified as eligible for free and reduced there are some schools, they'll have a school-wide meal program, um, but in terms of this one, I'm going to have to, back to because I don't know if for P- PPT, um, it, it has to be, uh, the qualification has to be for the individual child. I think that is the case. But I I would not want to have you say that to any of your folks and it not be correct. So I can find that out and then get back with y'all. Just a couple more questions. If a church was to
2: reopen their facilities and provide computer access or internet access, will all students have the opportunity to access like the Ingenuity platform or whatever school platform?
1: You mentioned what needs to happen is to go to the school and ask, what do you need? The answer to that question is likely dependent upon the school district and the school. Most students, though, can access their own student information system platform from any computer. So that although they may not be able to give the church itself access, as long as you have internet access, students should be able to get to whatever platform the school district has available for them. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, and, and I feel free to
2: respond too. And thank you, Jessica, for responding. She works with Houston ISD, so that all students in Houston ISD were offered free lunch. So if they have students, then they can apply. And then Marilyn Mann from Humble ISD is also providing a telephone number and some information above about the PEBT. You are talking about the different schedules that each district may have. Is it also possible that each school campus may have its own schedule or will all schools follow a district cam- calendar?
1: That, that's a great question. And I think it is possible that they will have a different schedule depending upon the age of the children and the needs of the children. I mentioned earlier that uh, I have heard several school district superintendents talk about um, you know, younger children like pre K through maybe third grade having one schedule where they might come to school every single day, then maybe the older children might have a different schedule. And it is also, of course, dependent upon the number of children enrolled in that school and, and how, you know, what their square footage and, and what their classroom space allocations are. Maybe in a, small, in a smaller school district, maybe they may give each school the opportunity to make those decisions. I doubt that it would be, this school has a schedule and this, it, you know unless it is focused on the needs of the children themselves, because that would be too chaotic for the, for the school district to have to deal with. I know it's two o'clock, so I'm gonna let Marilyn close. I mean, I had one
2: more question. So maybe after Marilyn closes, I can ask Linda's question real quick and anyone who wants to stay on to listen to the answer can stay on, but Marilyn?
0: I actually like Linda's question a lot, Uh, so I'm going to ask it so that you guys know what she asked, but is Region 4 looking at ways
1: other countries are planning doing education?
0: I think that's a very interesting question.
1: So yes, we are looking at what's happening in other countries. We've had conversations about that among superintendents. You know, Some of the countries don't have the same kind of school schedule as we do, and so we have some examples of different countries that have had a COVID epidemic and now have already started back to school. In fact, I actually had the opportunity to serve on a committee that the Greater Houston Partnership, which is the Chamber of Commerce for Houston, implemented. And, um, and I was on the group that focused on education. And we actually did do research. We looked at you know what was happening in uh, Korea. We looked at what was happening in some of the Scandinavian countries. We actually looked at what was was happening in England as well. There have been some learning opportunities from that. Two things, I think. One is, the good news is it appears in some places that the spread via children has not been as high as they might have anticipated. The caveat to that is some of the doctors that were on our committee said many times children have COVID, but they don't present with any symptoms. And so it's possible for children to spread the disease, even though they don't have any evident symptoms. So, but that was one thing that was kind of interesting. The the problem, especially for the Houston area, is that most of these countries have really small schools compared to the ones we have. You know, we have schools that have 4,000 children in them in high school. And we have elementary schools that have 1,300 children in them. Uh, very few of the other countries have schools the same size we do. And so some of the learning still would be a little challenging because of, you know, it's it just a little bit more difficult to try to figure it out when you have large. But as a person who believes strongly in the importance of churches supporting our schools, I mean, I believe that strongly. I can tell you that when we first started our Ministerial Alliance in Cy Fair, we had no idea what the great benefit was going to be. It far exceeded any idea that we even had and continues to this day. And I, I really love the goals of Loving Houston. I think that um, you were so right when you said 1,500 campuses is a lot of campuses but we have many more churches, so I really appreciate what you all are doing, and if there's anything that I can do to help you and support you, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Actually, we actually hosted, if I remember correctly, a training session for Loving Houston before I even knew what Loving Houston was. I was here at Region 4.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Pam. This was wonderful. It was so helpful, so valuable, um, so thank you so much, and thank you to each one of you all who are on the call. I know y'all are doing amazing things with Your churches and with your schools um, and school districts. So, thank you so much for your leadership and your service. Um, Really appreciate that a lot.
1: Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Stay safe and well. You
0: also.